kingdom of heaven will be filled with such as these. Won't it be amazing? We learn so much from children. The Bible tells us it is from children that we can learn faith. Must become like little children before our God, simply trusting, right, like children can do. We cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It is good to be a church family. What I, what I love about our church family, amongst many things, is the many ages here, right? We have those over 90 and we have those under 2 and lots in between. And what a blessing because God calls the ages and the generations and the nations to worship him to his glory. And uh, what a great, great example of that this morning. Well, we're in Mal- Malachi chapter 4 this morning. This is the last chapter in the Old Testament. So it ought to matter in some really cool ways, and so we will look at that together. So if you want to turn to Malachi chapter 4, next week we'll be talking about, Pastor Robert will be talking about John the Baptist um, in the morning service at 11, uh, which is our only service next Sunday, and then we'll have a Christmas Eve service, which will be entirely different um, at 6 o'clock in the evening next Sunday. But let me uh, read Malachi chapter 4. And let's listen to God's word here. Let's stand in honor of the authority of God's word. Shall we do that? (coughs) Malachi 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Lord, take your word, God, it is powerful, and use it to uh, enliven our spirits today, God, to convict and to change, encourage, give us hope, Lord, thank you that you are the God of that great day. It is certain, it isn't here yet, but it's coming. And we pray for its return. Come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And teach us now this morning as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we'll look at uh, this text this morning. It's uh, about the great day of the Lord. Um, In verses 1 to 3, we'll talk about what that day is. And then in verses 4 to 6, we'll look at some applications, some instructions um, for our lives that come from it. So, so this is the day of the Lord. Um, it's commonly called the day of the Lord throughout the Bible. Many times in the Old Testament and lots in the New. Either the day or the day of the Lord. It appears over 200 times in the Bible as a whole. And most commonly, not entirely, but most commonly it points to that great and final day when Jesus will return. Uh, when we are told that we will be guiltless and found perfect before Jesus Christ in him. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1.8 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until that day. And this is the picture that, that we have in the Bible, that there is a coming day when Jesus will return and he will make everything right. 
All wrongs will be dealt with. Those who are repentant will be saved and experience their full and final salvation. And those who have resisted and rejected him will face a day of judgment. Now, the day of the Lord is also spoken of in other times in the Bible in perhaps smaller but yet extraordinary ways where God acts, such as the fall of Jerusalem uh, in 587 B.C. that's found in Lamentations. And there's other examples of this. But all of this is aiming, like we've talked about, that that oftentimes prophetic words have a telescoping and increasing uh, uh, fulfillment. And this is the ultimate and final fulfillment of the day of the Lord when Jesus Returns Now, in our text this morning, we find our God in, in a very unique light. He is spoken of as a fire. You see this? Uh, that, there, that he will come and, and he shall set them ablaze. He's like a burning oven. Uh, so our God, as the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 4.24 and Hebrews 12.29, it says, Our God, the Lord your God, is a consuming fire. All right, this is something we, we find in other places, and we're more popular talking about that God is love and God is good. But here we see God is a consuming fire. All right? And this is a, a complexity of our God because when we think about fire, there are some good things about fire, and there are some things that are kind of frightening about fire, right? Fire gives us light, right? In ancient times, it was the way people could see at night. Uh, fire gives us warmth. Fire can be used to refine even a, a dinner and a camp out where it makes your food better, right? It can be used to, to refine things. But fire also can bring destruction. And we see that like in California with homes that are burning down. So fire has this kind of complex mixed picture of our, of our God. Now, our God is unchanging. He is, always will be, a consuming fire. But that is different in different places in time and how it presents itself. So in the last days, when he faces sin and rebellion that's unrepentant, that fire will be destruction and judgment. And for those of us today who have received Christ as Savior and trusting him, standing on his righteousness, not our own, that fire is refinement for us when we go through times of fire as the Bible speaks to us. And so it's a beautiful picture of a holy God who reacts to various things in various ways consistently and unchangingly as a consuming fire. It reminds me actually of my days. I I worked in a foundry for many years in the 80s. And uh, we would take uh, molten, we'd take metal at room temperature and we'd heat it up to 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. That's almost an unimaginable heat, but it is a fire, right? When you get to 2,800 degrees, you've got a fire uh, on your hands. And in the winter time, it was kind of nice because when, the, when those furnaces were running, right, you'd walk through the gangways by them and it was cold in the gangways, but you'd kind of get near a furnace and it was warm and you'd kind of go, ooh, that's kind of nice. And you'd kind of stand there a bit because it, it warmed you up. Furthermore, all of that energy, the 13,000 amps of electricity going into that metal would heat it up and then slag and the disgusting stuff in the metal would come to the surface and it'd get skimmed off. And so it, it purified and it refined uh, the metal, Right. Well, also in the, in the wintertime, little mice that didn't like the cold would come running into the factory where we worked, and we'd just take them and scoop them up and throw them in the furnace. <laughs> <laughs> and in their case, the fire was obliteration, right? <laughs> and raising the carbon content a little bit of the metal is all that did. And it was kind of fun, you know? And all the mice haters in the world said, 
Amen. That's a good thing, right? We're glad to get rid of them. So <laughs> but that's fire, right? It has good and it has destruction. Um, and that is really true in this text this morning uh, that we see that on that day it says all the arrogant, those that live for themselves and their own glory and their own pride and all the evildoers will be like stubble. God will set them ablaze. And it says that they will be rooted up. There will be no roots or no, no branches, right? In, in Psalm 1, it says the wicked are like the chaff. In other words, they just become light and, and worthless. Anything not done for God, anything not done for the glory of Christ and to honor him becomes worthless on that day. And people that have lived their whole lives that way are seen just as utterly having wasted their life, right? That, that's a good warning, right? Let's, let's not waste our lives, well, let's make them count. Let's, let's live them for Jesus and his glory, not for our, ourselves. Um, good warning here. And so we see this, that, that, a, that a life of rebellion ends up in just stubble and matter that just burns up and, and is gone. But it also says, then, and the good news is, is in verse 2, that, that those who feared his name, those who worshipped Christ, those who stood in awe of him and revered him, that uh, the Son of Righteousness rises and brings healing uh, in its wings. And um, it, it did remind me that this day, uh, the, 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 the consuming fire of God will have its good refining effect on our lives. We're told, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, we're preaching this next year, by the way, 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3, it tells us that this day is coming in which, which we, we've built a foundation in our lives, either gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay and stubble, and that, that God then will come and reveal by fire that day. It says, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. And if a work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. That's good news, but only as through fire. See, And so for us as believers, we will face a day of, of judgment uh, that will end in our salvation. But I, I want you to know, you know, we, we do think of, of the day of the Lord as a really good thing, and it really is. But I'm not so sure that isn't going to be a little bit tough. Maybe for all of us in some ways, right, when we give an account for our lives. And, and that's a good warning. God is gracious in reminding us that that day is coming. But he does also tell us in 1 John 2, 1, that Jesus will be our advocate. He will stand in our defense, right? And, and the son of righteousness, many have argued that that is Christ himself, will defend us with his righteousness, having given it to us. And we will stand as a righteous people clothed in Christ and that will be a great day. And it says we will literally flit about like calves and dance and run and frolic. It's a beautiful picture. And I, in fact, I was thinking a little bit of Pastor Robert and, and Glenn. I don't know if Glenn's here this morning. Um, but we, we did this uh, holly jolly Christmas and did our little deal. And, uh, but I thought next year maybe we'd do a little dance like the calves, you know. And uh, that might be kind of fun. <laughs> and uh, Robert's shaking his head. So maybe we won't do that. But, <laughs> but regardless, we are free, right, in Christ when you know that you are set free and you're forgiven. And you have the spirit inside your life it should lead in a, a, a frolicking in life and not afraid of bad news and enjoying and living fully because you are, are free, as the Bible says. And it says that those who have been set free will literally tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord, that there will be an utter trampling of wickedness on that day. And that's heaven. Right? And in heaven, all wicked is gone. Uh, isn't, that a good, isn't that good news, right? Isn't that great? Are, are you tired of 
in our neighborhood right now, um, th there's some thievery going on. People are stealing things, and so we have to be really careful to keep all the doors locked, you know, and the lights on just right. And, and you know, won't it be nice in heaven? There's no thieves, right? They're done, right? It's, it's over, right? And you drive down the road, these holiday season, and it's all crowded, and there's packed, and people kind of don't like the way you drive sometimes. And, you know, they, you can tell they're angry, and they reflect it in certain ways that the things they say and do. And, and you go, oh, my gosh, won't well, it be nice? Heaven's gone. No anger, right? No cussing, right? No sin. And that is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing, and we should rejoice uh, in that. But, <coughs> right, this day that we're talking about here, this great day of the Lord, is in the future. Right? That's important to know and see and understand that our salvation that we are experiencing and will uh, come to completion um, is, is in process. We, we were justified, it says, through faith. We put our faith in Christ. We're justified, declared not guilty. And these days, the Bible speaks that we're being sanctified and becoming more and more like Christ. As we call real life transformation, becoming into the image of Christ. But there will be a day ahead when you will be glorified, made perfect and holy and righteous before God. That day is coming, right? You'll be perfect. But, you know, that isn't today, right? Your spouse isn't perfect yet today. Amen? Yeah, yeah, don't say that out loud. <laughs> but they aren't today yet. That day is glorification when all sin will be set aside. This flesh that we carry is gone. We'll be sinless forever and ever. And so in the Bible you find people asking, why do the wicked prosper, right? Why is there this unfairness going on at times, but there is a day coming when everything will be made right and all sin will be done away, of, away with. Of course, Revelation speaks of this in lots of elaborate terms, but one of the things it says, it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is a day when there will be no mourning, no crying, no pain, no death. Okay? That isn't today. You need to know that. That isn't today. It's coming. It's certain. But unless Jesus returns, every one of us in this room will die. Because death in this time, in this era, uh, still has its effect on us because of our, our sin. And so what Jesus did is he comes and he breaks in with his kingdom, right? And he is the king, right? And the kingdom of God now is all those who submit to Jesus Christ. And he's coming. He comes in triumph. He conquers sin. He conquers death. And, and he's expanding his kingdom. And people are, are receiving him. And it's growing. And it's growing in power. And it's triumphant. And it's victorious. But it's not complete, right? There will be a day when his reign is absolutely perfect with no sin or wickedness. Nobody in rebellion against Jesus. That day isn't today. It's a day ahead. And so theologians often call it now. Its kingdom is here, but not yet. It hasn't been fully realized. <clears throat> and so we, we wrestle today against flesh and blood, against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those will be completely disposed of uh, in that day. <clears throat> and we struggle sometimes with uh, pain and suffering and difficulty. Um, and, and yet we see so many things that God is doing triumphantly through Christ. You know, I was, um, <coughs> in fact, it was my last day uh, as pastor in, in Nebraska, and I was uh, in bed, and, um, and I got a call, 4 o'clock in the morning, 
and it was a, a, a young man, and he was in the hospital with his wife, um, and they called me, and they said, we were just told by our doctor that our child, seven-month pregnant wife, our child in womb is going to die, and we don't know what to do. Will you come pastor? And, uh, and so I, I came, four o'clock in the morning, into that hospital room with tears and, and just great heartache and burden, and laid my hands on that big belly, right? <laughs> don't do this very often. And I, and I prayed that God would heal that child and save that child's life and that the doctors would be wrong. And today that child is 12 years old and living, right? And that's what God does, right? He does that. He does that. He, he heals people and he saves us and he changes us. And yet... It's not complete, right? It's not com- we know that, right? Because we, we still are struggling. We're still, we're still suffering um, at times and at moments deeply, right? I, in my family, um, in my family I, I mentioned last week that I had a brother uh, who died, and he was five years old. And uh, he struggled with a, uh, an, an illness of the, of the kidneys. And, um, and my parents were f- people of deep and rich faith, and they... They had people come and pray for that child and pray over that child. And, and my dad tells the story of, of just how they just by just faith pleaded with God to save the child. Um, and he died. And, and my family deeply struggled with that. And where was God and why did he do that? And, and we don't know the answers to that, right? We, sometimes, sometimes, right, in this world today, by the way, <laughs> there's a day coming, there'll be no death. But right now, sometimes, right? Our prayers aren't answered in this way, and we, and we struggle. But here's what I do know about the gospel, and here's what I do know about the redemption of the gospel, is that heaven will be a better place when we get there because we went through that, right? I get to see my brother, right? It'll be a greater day of rejoicing than if we hadn't gone through that, right? And in fact, my, my dad always reminded me of this, this. This son died before I was born. He said, you wouldn't even be alive today if your brother hadn't died because we would have just moved on. <laughs> so here we are. God is amazing. He redeems all things, right? But that redemption is not complete. There will be a day when Satan is obliterated, but it isn't today. God keeps him on a short lease. He doesn't do anything he, God doesn't let him do, right? This world is filled with sin, but that too will be ended. And we carry this thing called the flesh. It frustrates me to death, right? But God will get rid of that too. There will be no sin nature inside of me in that day of glorification. And that's what's ahead. All right. Now, the Bible comes in light of that great day. <coughs> and he gives us some instructions. Um, and we find them in verse 4. <coughs> he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Now, Malachi is writing about Moses and the commandments that God gave him on Mount Sinai. And uh, he tells us that we are to obey them and we are to follow them. And uh, I I think some today, this has uh, been missed by by pastors and teachers, that that we are called to obey God's law. And by the way, and and you also will hear it this way, well, well, we're in this age of grace, and so the law doesn't matter anymore, right? It's just grace, so do whatever you want, right? It's a period... But look at, <laughs> that's not what this text says, A, but B, <laughs> the law is gracious. 
The law tells us how to walk intimately and personally with God. Psalm 15, you want to ascend his holy hill and, and dwell in his presence and enjoy him, then you walk in obedience to him. And the law tells us how to experience his blessing. How to walk in a way that brings the blessings of God. But the law is also inadequate to get us right with God. It's the weakness of the law, it says in Romans 7. It doesn't change the human heart, right? Just post some speed limit signs and everybody will just obey them, right? Because we like to follow the law. Doesn't work, does it? Yeah, I'll figure out a way to get around that speed limit just far enough that I don't get caught. I got policemen. Oh, the policemen aren't there today. <laughs> Thankful for them. Really am. We try to get around the law. Law creates in us a desire to disobey. And so the solution comes to us in verse 5 Behold, I will send you Elijah. The prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So Elijah's going to come, it says. Now, Elijah had already existed in 1 Kings 18, right? And he came and he called the Israelites to repentance and the nations to turn their backs on Baal and to worship the true God. That's what he did. He called them to repentance, to turn to God. And he demonstrated God's power in that amazing face-off with, with the priests of Baal. He says, the person, Elijah, will come again, right? He's going to come. Of course, the Bible says that fulfillment of that is in John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, it says, And he will, John the Baptist, go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so there will be a forerunner of Christ named John the Baptist who will come. He calls the people to repentance and submission like Elijah did. And he warns them that there is a coming day of judgment. And John the Baptist, of course, points to Jesus. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of this guy. Here's what, I'm just here to point you to Jesus. That's what this prophecy is about. It's pointing us to Jesus as the answer. right? And in fact, this is one of the huge purposes of the law. Is to teach us that we can't keep it. And to cause us to look for an answer outside of the rules, which is Christ, right? We're, we're rebel, rebels inside by nature, and, and we need something to change us from the inside. The rules aren't doing it, right? The cultural pressure to be good isn't working. <laughs> the cultural pressure to be bad works, it seems like, an awful lot, but, but the threat of law doesn't seem to stop us from sinning. And so we need something that changes us from the inside. And, and the Bible says in Galatians 3.24 that the law is a schoolmaster to point us to Jesus. And we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and we trust him and ask him to forgive us. The Holy Spirit comes inside and motivates us from the inside out. And the Jesus becomes the focus of our lives and our affection. It isn't a focus on the law per se. It's a focus on Jesus who was the perfect law keeper on our behalf. And so we stand righteous before him. And we focus on Jesus and, and love him. And it says if we abide in him, we become fruitful. We can do nothing on our own strength and our own selves. But when we abide in Jesus, we live a life that is honoring to God, see. So Jesus becomes the focus of our lives. And it's a gospel of grace that by faith, by grace through faith, 
We put our faith in Jesus. We are saved and made right. And so we need to understand this, right? Because everything in the world screams the opposite of this, but this is the message of the gospel. It is not this. I obey, and therefore I am accepted. Okay, that's wrong. That's not the gospel, right? Rather, it's this. I am accepted freely and completely by faith alone, apart from anything I do. I'm accepted, and therefore I obey out of love and gratefulness to God who would set me free and changes me from the inside out by his spirit. That's the gospel. And Malachi is pointing us ahead to that now. And in fact, it's the hope of the nations. And so, you know, that's why we're here, right? We, I mean, we want our culture to be better, don't we? We want it to be different, right? We can't do it by having more and better laws. It's only Jesus that can change the heart, that teaches people to love and think of others ahead of themselves. And the fruit of that, the fruit of that is found in our text. That this Elijah, John the Baptist, pointing to Jesus, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Isn't that an encouraging message? Oh, my gosh. May God multiply that. And I was talking to Jason Benson, our children's pastor, uh, just a few weeks ago, and he was saying, that's my theme verse. That's the verse I want to build our children's ministry on. So, so I said, Jason, why don't you come and you preach this verse? Uh, so he's going to do that for us. <coughs> Good morning, church. Well, I was extremely excited to hear that news. Um, and, and I don't believe it's coincidence that, that I've, I've been here for a while and now we're preaching through Malachi and here we are, last chapter, last verse. Um, if, the, if, if this book, the, the Bible, if these words were the earth and Mill Creek Canyon was Malachi 4, 6, well, I've drove up Mill Creek Canyon and I've, um, put a tent up there, and I've been living there for weeks now. I've been exploring every, every creek, every waterfall. I've been looking for caves. I've been exploring all the, all the terrain. And it's been changing my heart, and it's been growing on me. And I'm excited. And, and what I want to do right now is just share with you vision and, and where we're going and what we're doing. I want to I go over three things briefly. Now, where did the vision begin uh, what does it look like and what Risen Life is doing to walk in this vision? As, as Kevin's already been talking about, this vision, Malachi 4, 6, this vision didn't begin with me. Obviously, it began there. It began Malachi. After these words were spoken, 400 years of silence. Think about that. 400 years where God did not speak. And his last words were, I'm going to send a prophet like unto Elijah, which we know is John the Baptist, and this prophet will turn the hearts of the children toward the fathers. I mean, toward the hearts of the fathers toward the children and turn the hearts of the children toward the fathers. And we see that John the Baptist came preparing the way of the Lord, and Jesus Christ himself come, appears in the flesh, and we're celebrating that this Christmas season, and the kingdom of heaven is ushered in, and it's here, it's now. Now is the season that the hearts of the fathers are toward the children. And the hearts of the children are toward the, fa the fathers. And what is this doing? It's bringing unity in the faith. How many of you want unity in the faith? That's, that's what it's about, unity in the faith. So what does this look like, this, this vision of, 
of turning the hearts of the fathers toward the children and the hearts of the children toward the fathers. Well, fathers, I'm going to speak to you first. Fathers, it's, it's being intentional. That's what it's about. It's being intentional. It's being intentional in instructing the children in the ways of the Lord. It's being intentional in showing them attention and love. It's, it's being intentional in creating avenues for their growth into the body. It's being intentional in helping them discover their giftings and their identity in Christ. You've noticed that I've said the word intentional about six or seven, eight times now. That word's important. I want you to get that word, intentional. It's one thing just to show up and cover something, and your heart's not in it. It's another thing to be intentional. It's another thing to literally be intentional in what you're doing, having your hearts turned. That's why the Scripture uses the word hearts, that our hearts would be changed, that our hearts would be turned toward the children and fathers. It begins with us. It does not begin with the children. It begins with us. What's the fruit of this? This is exciting because it doesn't just stop there. The fruit of the, fa the father's hearts being turned toward the children, well, it says the children's hearts will be turned to the fathers. So what does that look like? It looks like this. They will look to us for wisdom and instruction. The last thing we want is for our children and our youth and our young people to be looking to their peers for instruction, right? That's catastrophic. We don't want that. We want to be intentional so that they look to us, and by doing that, they will look to us for wisdom and instruction, and we'll be able to pour out into them. What else does it look like? It looks like children showing honor and respect toward the fathers. We know we live in a day and age that's different than 40, 50 years ago, 30, 20 years ago for that matter, where there is a lot more disrespectfulness and disobedience and, and, and things in public schools and all around among young people. Now, we can either just accept that as the reality or we can work to be intentional and change that. So what is Risen Life doing to walk in this vision? Well, Risen Life, what we're doing, this is huge. This is, this is priority. This is where we're going. We're going to work on generational connectivity generational connectivity if i have and we, it, the children's ministry is a big ministry everybody knows it's it's we have a lot of kids here and it's exciting we have lots of kids but but if i had every single position filled and all the logistics were covered every single week and all of the people working in these positions were excellent and they were all 30 years old i would say we're unhealthy we're not living it out we're looking for generational connectivity Bringing generations together, bringing the children's ministry and the generations so that the older can pour out into the younger, so that they can learn from the older. There is places for each and every single person in this room to be involved in the honor and privilege of raising up our children in the Lord. So we're going to continue to work on that. It also looks like children's weekly worship services. In September, we're going to be starting a second service, weekly worship service for our kids. We'll have song. We'll have illustrations. We'll have teaching the kids motions to songs. We're going to find kids' giftings, get them involved. My wife learned to lead worship as a child in children's church. We're going to find the gifts and talents in our children, and we're going to use that and help build them up. 
What else does it look like? It looks like big events such like VBS and Kids Camp and things that we're doing this year where we're going to work to build character, to build community, and build growth in the life of our kids. It also looks like weekly Sunday school classes that we're doing right now, which is amazing, by the way. These weekly Sunday school classes teaching foundational biblical stories and scripture memorization. Church, this is exciting stuff, and Malachi 4, 6 is exciting. We are going there. Hear me, church. That's where we're moving. That's where we're going. We're bringing generations together. We're going to be intentional in pouring out into our kids, seeing and developing their talents, building them up so that they will replace us, and this church will be healthy years and years and years from now. So thank you, Kevin. Amen. Yeah. Well, it's an exciting day, and I'm grateful for a, a man of so much passion for our families and for children, and uh, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do with Jason and the ministry, and all of us together. He's inviting all of us. It is. This is a generation of children that we are together, uh, the responsible to. So I'm going to pray for him, uh, and then we'll work on finishing up this text. Father, thank you for Jason. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for the passion you fire, you've put inside of him. Father, thank you that... Uh, he longs to see our children grow up to love you and serve you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, God. So let that be true here at Risen Life. May this generation rise up and serve Jesus like none other. So we give him and Melinda's family to you and your grace and strength and use him greatly for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, brother. You know, as I was thinking about that verse a little myself and... Um, some of the things that Jason shared with us uh, is that, as Pastor Robert and I have said commonly, what God has called men to be in the homes is to be the pastors of the homes, to be the shepherds of the family, to rise to that challenge, to walk with God in such a way that we get to impart it to our kids, right? Deuteronomy 6, that famous, called the Shema, where we love the God, Lord God with all our heart, soul, strength, mind, and strength, and then we teach our children as we walk along the way. But men, we can't pass it on to our children unless we know him. You can't teach your children how to know God if you don't know God. This is a God problem, men. What are you doing with your life? What disciplines have you built in to know God? You spend time in the Word. You pray. Are you living in community? Are you accountable to people, to your wife, and to other men? So that passion just spills out of you. You know, this, this is a day. It's kind of jarring, I think, isn't it? It's a day where men are being called to account. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Being called to account. And uh, we, we shouldn't be surprised. People act like they're surprised. But we shouldn't be surprised when we are a culture that espouses free sexuality, right? And espouses do whatever feels good, and then we get a bunch of people that are misbehaving, right? That shouldn't surprise us. As wrong as it is, it shouldn't be a surprise. And we're a culture that's taking to move God to the side, get him out of everything we do, and then we end up with ungodly behavior. The problem is our relationship with God, right? And all of us in this room... All of us men, in particular in this room, have some repenting to do, right? 
Because Jesus doesn't let any of us off the hook. He said, if you have even a thought, lossful thought in your mind, you're guilty, right? So, so we all have, right, in this room, and, and men in particular, uh, a call to holiness. And this is a good day for us. Let's, let's do that. And there's grace in the gospel and forgiveness, whatever we've done, whatever our past has been. Let's find his healing and his grace and his love. And, and in that love, be different, right? It's a good day for that. Judgment starts with the house of God. Change in the, in the culture starts with men of God. Let's be those men. Now look at this verse. <laughs> we get to the end of this text. Now we're in the last phrase of the whole Old Testament, right? A very encouraging verse. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children of the children of the fathers. And then this last phrase, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's how we're going to end. <laughs> May God bless you and go on your way. Right? Oh my gosh, what is going on here? Right? I mean, after that phrase, the curtain drops, whoop, 400 years of silence before God speaks again. Well, that phrase. If you don't repent, utter destruction is coming on your land. And guess what? They didn't. They didn't. And so God now, 400 years later, breaks in to human history in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, showing us what it's like to be God. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, that he was struck. He was smitten on our behalf. That the judgment we deserved... He took. We disobeyed. Bible says judgment will fall. And God sends his judgment on his son in order that he could set us free and save us from that judgment. And the answer to our problems is found in the cross. Because, see, in the cross, we see two really, really important truths. One is we see our sin. We see our problem. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took that for us. The wrath of God is against sin. And the Father poured out his wrath on his Son so he wouldn't with us. We see our sinfulness. And, and it's hard to look at ourselves, you know. It really is, and I think if we're honest, we're all more sinful than we really ever want to admit. But we also see in the cross God's amazing love. That even though we are enemies and rebels, Romans 5, 8, Jesus died for us. God loved us so much that when we were running from him, he died for us. And so we're to look at the cross and just be pierced own sin, but God's incredible love for us. And the Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. We respond to the cross. We respond to what he did for us, and we turn to him and say, thank you for dying for me, Jesus. I give you my life. And so what is it that you love, right? What is it 
that you're passionate about, what, what matters to you. If you have seen clearly the cross and what Jesus has done, it's God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> have you let the gospel change your life, your heart? Have you been set free like a wild calf running in a pasture because you're forgiven completely by everything he's done for you, apart from anything you do? And if you do, the Bible says, if you love him, then you will keep his commandments. <laughs> See, that's how we get to this, right? That's how we get back, full circle, back to what Malachi's asking us to do. Ben, you can come on up. And so I was sitting as a, uh, a high school student, 16 years old, in Everett, Washington, many years ago now. There were probably 20 of us gathered around our youth, pa youth pastor. I love that man. He changed my life by God's grace. But he was reading this passage out of 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 11. And he read this passage to us that night. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And I listened to those verses that night, and I said in my heart, Jesus, I will serve you. I will serve you all my days. I want to be a godly man. I want to be a holy man. I still pray that prayer every morning. God, make me a holy man. No, the day of the Lord's coming, and it's gracious that He has told us. And I want to be found in Him, having lived a life full out for Him as best I know. And by His grace, and because of His love, and because of what He did for me, and the Holy Spirit's power inside of me, I can do that. And so can you. Let's pray. your love, Father, and your son's cross that both confronts us and frees us. May your gospel continue to change us day by day and week by week. Your love, your resurrection power in Christ. And I pray for anybody in this room who has not yet seen your love such a way that it has changed them that you will open their eyes to see that they can be new they can be like that calf that just runs about with great joy and freedom it's offered in Christ just by saying Jesus you died for me thank you I give my life to you you will be the Lord of my life God let us be those kinds of people today in your name amen in the morning, when I rise, in the morning, when I rise, in the morning, when I rise, 
Listen, there are a lot of announcements we want you to be aware of. Take your, get your bulletin, take it home, check it out, check the city. There are all kinds of things going on. They're all listed on the city. Concerning next Sunday, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. Imagine that. It's already here, right? Next Sunday morning, we're having one service. It's the 11 o'clock service. So if you come to this one, you're good to go. You come to the 930, thank you for praying for the 11 o'clock. That's when we're showing up, okay? It's going to be at 11 o'clock. And um, there will be child care for zero through four years. Uh, and then next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to have our regular Christmas Eve service. It's going to be different than the morning service. Be sure and invite your friends. There are all kinds of, uh, there are cards back on the back table for inviting friends to do that. Also, there, women are taking up contributions for battered wives. Be sure and check that out in the, in the bulletin and on the city. And also our Lottie Moon, our missions offering. Every penny that's given to the missions offering during the month of December goes directly to missions. We encourage you to take part in that. Just write down in the memo line, uh, missions or Lottie Moon, and we'll know what that is. But you guys are a blessing. We're so thankful for you. Be sure and greet someone. Meet someone you haven't met before, before you leave today. Greet somebody. Ask them how you can be a blessing to them, how you can be praying for them. Let's pray for our neighbors. Watch for opportunities to share Jesus with them. You guys are a blessing. You're dismissed.